welcome to Adapt, Episode 8. This episode is brought to you by Backblaze. My name is Ryan Christoffel, and I'm joined by my co-host, Federico Vatici. How are you, Federico? Are you surviving the iPadOS and iOS 13 review cycle? Uh, hello, Ryan. Well, I, I survived the beach. I'm not sure if I will survive the review editing process, but I'm trying my best. Okay, you're almost there. I mean, we are, we're less than a week away from Apple announcing, we expect, the release date for yes. iOS and iPadOS 13. So that's good. And if, if everything goes as you know, expected based on past patterns, mm. we're, we're expecting iPadOS to launch probably before our next episode, which is kind of a scary thought, yeah. uh, kind of exciting. But Yeah, well, I mean... Look, Apple, if you're listening, uh, Ryan and I were talking about this yesterday in our Slack channel. Um, last year, you released iOS 12 on a Monday. Now, this year, Monday would be Monday the 16th. And, you know, maybe you could use those couple of extra days. Why not launch on Wednesday the 18th? You know, you used to launch your iOS updates on, when on, on Wednesdays before. You could go back to Wednesday Uh you know, people would appreciate it, especially people who are writing in-depth reviews of the operating systems. Uh, I'm sure they would appreciate, you know, the couple of extra days. So I'm just saying, you know, if you, if you had to make up your mind, Wednesday the 18th, beautiful day, beautiful number, beautiful, you know, name, Wednesday is a beautiful name. Um, so why not? Why not Wednesday instead of Monday? Uh, but I will be ready no matter what uh, the review. I'm starting to see the end uh, of the tunnel in terms of editing and adding screenshots and all the different pieces are coming together. Um, and Ryan knows because he's helping me with the edit, as always. Uh, and, and it's a lot. I mentioned on Connected and on App Stories. It's the, long, the longest review I've ever done. Uh, it's the biggest um, body of work that I've ever put together in three months. It's been a, it's been exhausting, but it's also I love this process, uh, even when it stresses me out, uh, even when it when I spend twelve hours a day looking at a screen and typing or editing, it's a it's something that I love doing every summer. So the final push is always you know it it, it always feels like you're doing ninety percent of the work in the final push, but that's not actually true. It just feels like that because you got to take care of a lot of details, but we'll get there. Yeah, and I thought that today, for our topic, we could actually get your mind off of oh, iPadOS and iOS you. a little bit, <laughs> g give you a break from that, rather than you know continuing to immerse yourself in that. We're, we're going to talk about something a little bit different, uh, certainly related, but uh, something fun, I think. But before we do that, I do want to remind our listeners that uh, August was Relay FM's membership month, and Adapt is a grateful part of Relay FM. And uh, during the month of August, the network celebrated its fifth anniversary. And as part of the anniversary celebrations every year, Relay FM members earn access to special podcast episodes. So all of the great Relay FM shows record special episodes exclusively for members. And so that goes on throughout August and also bleeding into September. And so if you're a Relay member, you know that we actually just published our membership episode of Adapt earlier this week. And in that episode, Federico and I talked in depth about our current home screens for our iPads, which 
is a little more interesting even than maybe past discussions of home screens in that now we have you know, widgets on the home screen to talk through. Uh, we have things like quick actions, which are available from the iPad home screen for the first time, formerly exclusive to iPhones. And so it's a great episode. I think you'll enjoy. If you are a Relay member, you should have received that already. Uh, if you're not, then membership starts at $5 a month. Uh, you can support Adapt directly or just support all the shows that are on Relay. Um, and with that membership, you gain access not only to these special episodes that take place during August and September, but also throughout the year, there are a variety of benefits to being a member, such as there's a monthly exclusive membership podcast hosted by Stephen Hackett. There's a behind-the-scenes newsletter and a variety of other perks. So if you're interested, visit relay.fm membership and you can sign up and gain access to not just Adapt's special members episode, but also all the episodes from other shows, such as I know Connected has a show that's coming out pretty soon that you've done with Mike oh, and Steven. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yes, that's true. All right, but that said... Let's get into our topic for today, which is based on a recent report for Bloomberg that Mark Gurman and Debbie Wu published, which it had to do with a lot of different things. Uh, the, the article was kind of a, an overview of what is expected from Apple for the remainder of the year and even bleeding into next year as far as hardware goes. Uh, certainly covered things like the iPhone that's expected to be announced next week, but German and Wu also mentioned some iPad news. So the report mentioned that a new iPad, just the base level, low-end iPad, is going to be updated to have a 10.2-inch display mm. rather than the current 9.7-inch, which has been the standard for a very long time. But then perhaps even more interesting to you and I, Federico, is that... The report says that new 11-inch and 12.9-inch iPad Pros are coming, which uh, I'm going to quote the article here. It says that those iPads will get similar upgrades to the iPhones, mm. gaining upgraded cameras and faster processors. Otherwise, the new iPads will look like the current versions. Mm. Um, now, that last line, I think, is no surprise. Apple just updated the kind of design of the iPad Pros last year in 2018, so I don't think anyone was expecting them to do anything particularly different with the hardware externally. Uh -huh. But upgraded cameras, faster processors. What do we think about this update? Were you expecting mm. Apple to update the iPad so soon? Uh, the report doesn't specify you know, a particular month or even a particular window. It sounds like they're probably coming soon. Uh, you could read it as saying by the end of the year. And that's kind of what it sounds like, although it's possible to be early next year. Um, is this a surprise to you? What do you think, Federico? Well, I think if you asked me last year, I wouldn't have thought that we were going to get updated iPad Pros the year after. I would have said, no, we're going to get new iPad Pros in 2020 um, because that's what the iPad Pro line roughly uh, went through over the past uh, two years. We, you know, we've seen the mid-cycle upgrade with the 10.5, for example, or when the 9.7 iPad Pro came out. Uh, that model, the 9.7 Pro, I never got myself. Um, but I would have said 2020. But I think in the past 12 months, we've seen Apple uh, get, you know, back to releasing spec bumps, uh, for, especially for the Mac lineup. Uh, we're starting to see them, especially with the MacBook Pros, uh, 
do things that they used to do years ago when they used to release updates, even if the hardware and the and you know the the industrial design was not changing, they would still update the keyboards or update the graphics cards or update the processors. And I think if they want to do the same with the iPad Pro line, I would welcome that. Uh, that's good news. You know, keep up with the latest advancements. There's no reason why if Apple has a you know what's it called. Uh, a13 is that the processor they're going to introduce this year with the iPhones. Uh, I guess last year was the A12. So if they have an A13X ready for the iPad Pro, why not release it now? Um, it seems to me that politically and institutionally, Apple is okay again with doing spec bumps instead of waiting two years for major upgrades and then you know everybody gets upset and all of that. Now, I'm not sure if there's demand among iPad Pro users for spec bumps. Like, for example, um, I follow on Twitter a lot of people who are Mac-only or Mac-first users, and a lot of them are developers. And so it's not uncommon that one, you know, when Apple reached the point where Intel, for example, had newer processors than what Apple was offering in the MacBook Pro line, those users would complain about it because they had an actual demand for, uh, you know, I need to make my compile time in Xcode shorter and therefore I need to be able to use the latest Coffee Lake processors or whatever they're called. I don't know if there's that kind of demand among iPad Pro users because I don't know if there's the software that can push the A12X to its limits on the iPad Pro. Uh, I'm not sure if there's people clamoring for Apple to release an A13X as soon as possible. Um, but, you know, it's a different market. Of course, the MacBook Pro depends on Intel, and therefore we have details on the kind of processors that Intel is making before Apple even adopts them. On on iPad, it's different because Apple makes the processor and we discover what's new in the new system on a chip when it's announced, when it's released. So it's a different type of market regarding spec bumps and the expectations surrounding the spec bumps. Personally speaking, I'm, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get one. I have a 2018 uh, iPad Pro, the one terabyte version, which happens to have two extra gigs of RAM compared to the uh, other capacity, you know, other storage options. So... If it's literally just a better camera, which I never use on my iPad Pro, and a better processor and nothing else, I will have to think about it hard and long because I spent quite a bit of money on this iPad Pro that I have. And if there's other changes I may consider, it, you know, I may consider selling this one and getting the newer one. But at this point, given the details of this rumor, I'm not sure. What about you? Yeah, I... Like you said, if it's just better cameras, maybe more cameras, mm. because right now the iPad has always just had one rear-facing camera, and iPhones have two. It sounds like they may be moving to three soon. If it's just better cameras or more cameras and an improved processor, I I seriously doubt that I could justify buying a new iPad mm. just a year after getting the last one. It, it is interesting to think about the iPad moving to more of a spec bump model the way that the Mac has been. I know for a while, Mac users were upset because the Mac wasn't updated often enough. Uh, Apple would skip some, let's say, processor updates that they could have made 
holding off for maybe a bigger update that included more radical changes. And the company has since changed that pattern to now go back to updating the Mac, at least the laptops for sure, really as often as it seems like they can based on the Intel processors available. Um, I I like the idea of Apple keeping the iPad as up-to-date as it possibly can. So we all know that the iPhone's going to have a new A13 chip. So why not go ahead and put an A13 or A13X in the new iPad Pro rather than waiting till sometime next year? You know, if if the team at Apple can do it, then that's great. Um, It it may not Mm. be as compelling a sell for people who had the 2018 models, but I think that's okay. You know, I I think that those of us who are used to buying every new iPad will kind of need to go through an adjustment period, realizing that it's okay for us not to have the latest and greatest all the time. Um, But I, I don't know. I think Apple continuing to invest in iPad hardware and doing that at an aggressive pace is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I, I would rather have an iPad Pro model that I have to, you know, deliberate my purchase and maybe even pass on it mm. than go a year, 18 months, maybe even two years and and wonder when is Apple going to iPad update the iPad yeah. Pro again? Yeah, because at least that's your choice if you want to skip it. It's not because you're forced to. Um, there's some things that may push me over the edge. Uh, they're not part of this rumor, but I'm still going to mention them. An OLED display. I think it's unlikely. We haven't really heard any major rumors surrounding OLED adoption on the iPad Pro line. Uh, but that, if if the iPad Pro w- were to go OLED, now I would consider an upgrade because I very much prefer OLED to LCD. Um a second USB-C port would be interesting to be able to charge an iPad Pro and connect ac- accessories at the same time. I know that it would help me a lot when I podcast from my iPad Pro, so I wouldn't have to use a hub necessarily uh, with the extra USB-C port. And it would also be interesting to have um, to see Apple adopt the, now this is a mouthful, the USB 3.2 Gen two by two spec. <laughs> this essentially means uh, transfer speeds up to 20 gigabits per second. Uh, right now, the iPad Pro only supports what used to be called until a few months ago, USB 3.1 Gen 2. Now that's just called USB 3.2 Gen 2. So the additional by two means that it doubles the transfer speeds of the existing iPad Pro, which is 10 gigabits per second to 20 gigabits per second, we'll have a link. This is super confusing, I know, I'm sorry. We'll have a link to Mac Stories that where I explained the terminology updates from the USB consortium or whatever it's called. It's a mess. Just know that, in theory, it is now possible over USB-C to support 20 gigabits per second, uh, which is double what the iPad Pro currently supports. I, I do transfer heavy files between my iPad Pro and external SSDs because I have a high-res music player. It's a Sony Walkman. And I buy music as high-res FLAC files from the internet. And uh, now with iPadOS, I can actually buy those albums in digital format and download, download them in Safari because there's a download manager. And I can transfer them to my external SSD, which is connected to my Mac Mini as it feeds a Plex library, 
uh, and I can transfer those files from the files app on my iPad to the external SSD over USB-C. So I do run into the limitations of 10, gig 10 gigabits per second. I can tell that it could be faster. And in theory, with this updated USB spec, the iPad Pro could be faster. It would also be interesting to see the updated USB-C USB spec for pushing the iPad Pro over the limit of 5K displays. Now, I know that there really haven't been any 5K displays, despite what Apple says, that support the iPad Pro natively over USB-C. And maybe one, one of my theories is that maybe Apple announced the theoretical capability of pushing a 5K display from a 2018 iPad Pro, then something happened, whatever it is, I'm not sure. They realized, oh, nobody's making 5K displays, let's make a 6K display, such as the Apple Pro Display XDR that is coming out this year. And Apple hasn't really said anything about whether the Pro Display XDR will support the iPad Pro over USB-C. It would be interesting, however, if it were to support the 2019 iPad Pro with a faster USB spec over USB-C, and we may have an iPad Pro driving a 6K display. That would be interesting, right? Yeah, that would be really neat, especially considering... I mean, I know the Pro Display XDR is a little on the pricey side, um, but... <laughs> you you got to spend, spend $5,000 for... <laughs> An iPad that costs eight hundred dollars—that's you know quite the difference. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: if you do buy that five thousand dollar display, you obviously have to buy the thousand dollar stand, and right. especially <laughs> if you are going to connect an iPad Pro to it, because one of the features of that stand is that you can rotate mm. the display on the monitor to be portrait mm. or landscape orientation which could be really nice when using an iPad. Well, that's funny you mentioned that because in theory, external displays do not support rotation when an iPad Pro is connected over USB-C. But I heard at WWDC from some little birdies that the Pro Display XDR was being tested internally with support for rotation and the iPad Pro. But that's, you know, a second-hand source that uh, I... I, I'm not as sure about that as I was, for example, a few months ago about mouse support coming to the iPad via an accessibility setting, but it's something that I heard, and I think it would be pretty neat to have, you know, despite the fact that the Pro Display XDR is crazy expensive, and I would rather Apple make a display without the crazy XDR features, um, I think it would be pretty neat if the iPad Pro were to actually support rotation for displays that can rotate, that can physically rotate. Uh, and there's other displays from other companies, like there's a display from Dell that you can rotate it and use it vertically. I think it would be pretty cool. But I guess that maybe Apple is waiting for iPadOS to properly support um, external displays to go beyond mirroring. And so maybe all of this is just a theory. Maybe... We just got to wait for Apple to ship a proper iPadOS to external display integration feature. And then maybe we'll see Apple announce support for the Polar Display XDR and, and all of that. My wild card, though, I know this is not the show where we do the Ricky Picks that's connected. But I'm going to say that if I were to choose a Ricky Pick for an October event, I would say 
Apple does an October event where they announce the new iPad Pros and updates the Mac line. They give a release date for the Mac Pro and the Pro Display XDR. And they announce, exclusive to the 2019 iPad Pros, support for the Pro Display XDR, including rotation and proper iPad OS external display integration. So, could be could be fun. That would be really compelling and I know that I would never be able to justify $6,000 <laughs> for the display, but for the people who are in a position where they, you know, would get more use out of it and maybe even have like a Mac and an iPad connected and some easy way to switch between them, I could see that being really appealing for different pros. Yeah. Especially considering, you know, the one thing that I would expect to see in let's say if Apple does do an October event highlighting things like the iPad Pro and the MacBook Pro, uh, I would expect to see a demo of Photoshop for iPads yes. on stage oh, that's a good point. because that's going to come out uh, according to Adobe before the end of the year. And so what better time to share something like that and tying together the ability to use this beautiful mm. display to see, you know, the things you're working on on your iPad. I mean, that could be that could be a great narrative mm. that Apple could come up with. Honestly, if they do ship external display integrations that go beyond mirroring, they should do it for all kinds of displays and all recent iPad Pro models. So the 2018 and the 2019 ones. But I think I would not be surprised if the Apple Pro Display XDR is exclusive to the 2019 iPad Pro because it needs to push the 6K resolution. But I think Apple should do the external display integration for older iPad Pros and for all kinds of monitors that you connect over USB-C or mini display port or HDMI or whatever. Absolutely. That way the rest of us exactly. who <laughs> maybe can't invest in that amazing monitor mm -hmm. can still get something that's, that's decent. Yeah. yeah, so as far as just thinking about the prospect of new iPad Pros, you know, you mentioning an OLED display, that... That definitely seems like the kind of feature that would push me over the edge and lead me to buy a new iPad. You know, faster transfer speeds for USB wouldn't necessarily appeal as much to me, but but the OLED display, I know there there haven't been any rumors that I'm aware of, and that seems like something that maybe would leak through the supply chain. But but hey, we can we can hope and cross our fingers and you know, it sounds like it's gonna be an exciting fall one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I would like to hear, Federico, how your challenge went this time around. But before we do that, I would like to thank our sponsor for today. This episode of Adapt is brought to you by Backblaze, the unlimited cloud backup for Macs and PCs that starts at just $6 a month. No gimmicks and no add-ons. What important files do you currently have that you wouldn't want to lose? You can sign up for a 15-day free trial with no credit card required at backblaze.com adapt. Backblaze backs up documents, music, photos, videos, drawings, projects, uh, even iOS reviews, I believe. It does. I actually do use it myself, so I can vouch for it. It does back up my iOS review. So all the important files, Backblaze has you covered. Uh, sometimes you need to access a file on the go. Uh, you can use the super easy mobile apps that Backblaze offers to access all your data anywhere in the world, even from your phone. And having backup means total peace of mind. 
Uh, it's the difference between a data disaster costing you hours upon hours of work and tons of anxiety, I'm sure, uh, and just having a hard drive shipped to you with your files on them. Uh, avoid that looming data disaster. Go to backblaze.com adapt for your unrestricted free trial and let them know that you heard about them on Adapt. That's backblaze.com adapt. Go there now. Thank you to Backblaze for saving us from countless data disasters and for their support of this show and Relay FM. Now, Federico, mm-hmm. you have had a little bit of extra time yeah. in a way to work on this challenge. I mean, I know you've been busy with other things, mm-hmm. but uh, since we took a break from the last episode, you've had a little longer than usual. And so I hope that you have been able to create a good transcript of the last episode of our show. Uh, how did that go for you? Well, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure about whether it's, it's good or not. Uh, I got to be honest with you. I was not going to be transcribing the show by hand, no matter the amount of convincing that you may have tried. You really didn't. You just said, do a good transcri- transcript of the, of the last episode. Y- you should have used an Apple Pencil to actually do it by hand. Sure. That would have been true excellence sure sure i could have done that uh but i can barely sign with my finger when the ups guy comes to deliver my packages from amazon you know i very rarely handwrite these days um i was not gonna use the pencil i was not gonna listen and transcribe by typing i think i've done enough typing this summer so i knew right away that i was supposed to be using a service that would do transcription for me. Um, And I remember that was a couple of years ago, maybe. Um, Actually, it was last year. When we did with John Voorhees on App Stories, a series of interviews with third-party developers about the 10 years of the App Store, Um, we interviewed Zach Gage. He's a game developer, uh, makes some excellent games for iOS. And I needed to transcribe a couple of his answers for a piece that I did on App Store preservation uh, last July, July 2018. And it was a long segment, like 10 minutes, and I didn't want to listen and and type the thing myself. So I came across Trint, that's T-R-I-N-T, which is a service that, rem- uh, that I remember either Jason Snell or Rene Ritchie mentioned as an online service that they used to transcribe the Apple earnings calls, especially when Tim Cook um, answers questions from analysts. Um, they, I think a couple of years ago, maybe Jason mentioned using Trint, uh, which is essentially a service where you upload an audio file, they run through the the file with the combination of artificial intelligence and I suppose people listening to the conversation for you. I know that there's humans involved, so it must be a combination of uh, software and people. And they provide you with a transcript of the conversation as a text file that you can share in a variety of formats. And so my first, the the first thing that I tried was I uh, logged into the Trint website again And of course, I had already an an account that used the free demo last year. So I I had to buy uh, $30 in credits to unlock two hours of audio transcription, 
which was fine. It was part of the challenge. The they have an iPhone app, but I wanna of course I needed to do it from my iPad. They have a website, they have a desktop web app that works in Safari for iPadOS 13. So that was good. Um, I should mention, of course, that the file for the last episode of Adapt, I downloaded from the Relay website using Safari. I just went to relay.fm slash adapt, found the last episode, tapped on the MP3 link, uh, actually long pressed the MP3 link, and I chose um, download link file from Safari. Uh, so that was that super- feature is a lifesaver. Yes. <laughs> the- D- downloading audio before in Safari was yeah. the absolute worst, yeah. and it's so much easier now. Yeah, because it, it and it still does that actually. It, it, when you reach a page that contains an audio file or a video, it, iOS and iPadOS default to loading the media uh, through uh, the QuickTime. It's not called QuickTime Player to the native uh, media player on iOS. And so if you just have a link to uh, an MP3 file, for example, that is still a problem because if you only have the direct link and you arrive at the page, you're going to see a play, an audio player that lets you listen to the MP3 um, file, but there's no download button. So what you need to do, uh, you need to either have a web page um, that has a link to the, to the file, like on really like on Relay FM, there's you know you can long press the link, and I think maybe in some cases you can actually share the web page um, via the share sheet and and select save to files. But in my experience, that didn't always work. So then maybe it got fixed during the beta. I need to check again. Anyway, if you have a link that you can long press, do that. There's a context menu. Choose uh, download link file. Super easy. So I had that file in the files app went to the Trint website, and there was an upload feature. I selected from files the MP3, but the upload kept failing for some reason. It just would stop. So what I did next was I uploaded the file to Dropbox, because Trint also had a feature that lets you uh, um, get an audio file from your Dropbox account. Um, but then I realized they, they instead of just wanting a link, they wanted to be able to access my Dropbox account, and I wasn't comfortable with that. So eventually I realized in my rush to upload the file that there was a last option, which was paste direct URL. And so I just took the relay.fm link, uh, the CDN link from Relay, and I pasted it into the Trint website, and it worked. So I should have looked earlier. Um, there was a very nice UI in Trint to select the language of the uh, conversation and also to add a custom vocabulary. So the custom vocabulary feature allows you to select beforehand specific words and names that will be found in the conversation. The in the conversation, so that you can sort of uh, preemptively suggest, hey, you know, when you when you hear this word, it means Federico Vitici. Instead, I, you know, Trint by default, uh, you want to know how you recognized my name, Ryan? <laughs> sure. Frederick of a TV. Oh, that is brilliant. So when you say my... Frederick of a TV. <laughs> <laughs> so in the introduction, when you say, uh, my name is Ryan Christopher and I'm joined by Fred- Federico Vitici, the, t- the default transcript that came back to me 
because I didn't do the custom vocabulary, said, and I'm joined by Frederick of a TV. <laughs> it's like in the olden days when, you know, you'd say, this is this Federico of, of this family or of this house. It's like... Frederick of a TV. It's like a Game of Thrones character with the worst <laughs> exactly. last name ever. <laughs> this is this is your Game of Thrones alter ego or something <laughs> of a TV. Uh, iPad OS became iPaid OS, of course. Ah, uh, yeah. At some point, <laughs> you said uh, because I listened through iOS as a whole was an expression that you used. And okay. For some reason, that became Iowa. <laughs> <in> the transcript. <laughs> <laughs> Iowa is a whole. Uh, yeah. Um, so no good times. Uh, I went through the whole. Uh, the, I went through the transcript, and of course, I I skimmed it multiple times, um, and I picked apart different sentences, and I came across uh, these. You know, all the technical words, or um, in my case, in in the in this case, my name they were transcribed to something else by Trint uh, without using the custom vocabulary feature. Um, everything else was mostly fine. Uh, it was not perfect, of course. Uh, a nice feature is that Trint automatically cuts the hum, uh, ums from a conversation. So I do that a lot, and I noticed that unlike the other service that I ended up trying the ums were automatically removed in the transcript. So that was cool. I noticed that, of course, my accent got in the way of the transcript somewhat. Um, your parts were better than mine. There were more mistakes and accidental transcriptions in, in my part of the dialogue. So that was something that I noticed. And I should mention the Trint. You can either wait for the text file to come back to you and then you can share it as a plain text document, as a PDF, as a, I think also as a uh, Word document, DocX. But there's also an online web editor that sort of looks like a mini Google Docs. And you can use that to assign speaker names, which in my experience, it, it doesn't really learn from you. In theory, you're supposed to assign a speaker name and then the service should run through the transcript and automatically assign uh, other speaker names, but it didn't do that for me. Um, you can make corrections, and you can listen through to the audio by clicking on the timestamps, so you can jump around. It's really nicely done, but ultimately, I was uh, I was not super happy with the with the quality of the transcript, and so I tried something else. I remember a few folks on Twitter talking about this service called Otter.ai. It's a new this sort of looks to me like the Slack of uh, audio-to-text services. It's they have a very pretty website, very pretty web page. They have a colorful mascot, and they have a pricing plan for pro users and teams. They are very much oriented to letting teams collaborate on conversations. So the idea would be, if you if you work in a team and you have meetings, you can use otter.ai uh, as your quote-unquote audio assistant that generates a transcript of the meeting for you and automatically assigns um, speaker names. So, you know, at the end, you can jump around and take notes and highlight and all of that. And what sets it apart is that 
Otter is presented as an AI-powered audio assistant. So they're very much heavy on um, stressing the fact that they have this artificial intelligence that can generate more accurate transcripts than other services. And I got to tell you, I sort of agree with that. Um, Otter is free for 600 minutes per month. So I was able to use it for free. No need to buy credits. Um, and the transcript that I got back from the service was more accurate than what I got back from Trint. Um, they did mess up some technical words, but they got stuff like iOS, for example, correct. And uh, the general flow of the conversation, the punctuation, the separation between sentences, that felt uh, better to me. Like uh, they were able to insert commas and question marks uh, more precisely than, than um, Trint from what I'd seen. Uh, they even automatically capitalized. For example, we were talking about iPadOS and we were talking about multi-window. And in, in this sentence, they actually capitalized multi and window. So it's, it, even the technical notation order got right. iPad is spelled correctly. Even FTP is spelled correctly. Um, here, for example, um, I'm reading through the transcript right now. Uh, incorporates the secure shellfish upload file action that uses parameters in the new shortcuts app. Here, upload file is capitalized because it, know, it knows that we're talking about an action called upload file. So I was really impressed. Wow. Yeah, I was really impressed by Otter. Um, it did fail, like Trint, to assign speaker names. I'm not sure if maybe I'm getting this feature wrong, but my interpretation was that you're supposed to do the manual training a couple of times. Like you go to the online editor and say, this is Federico, this is Ryan, this is Federico, this is Ryan. And then it learns from you and scans through the rest of the transcript and assign, assigns the speaker names itself. But it didn't do that. So these chunks of dialogue are still unlabeled, but they're very, very nicely done. Uh, and I think this one is actually pretty good. This is a pretty good transcript, and it's totally searchable. Technical names are spelled correctly. Um, it's even YouTube is spelled correctly. Um, I'm I'm impressed, and this is, you know, this is all done for free by AI, and I only used sixty minutes of the six hundred allotment that I would have for free without having to pay anything, and. I would say if I were to choose a transcription service these days, I would go with Otter. It's very nice. It's got an iPad app. It's got an iPhone app. Trint only has an iPhone app. They have a web app. It's got a clean design, supports multiple export options, uh, lets you tag conversations. You can highlight bits of uh, the conversation that you want to make more important. It, I'm impressed. Yeah, it, it looks like I'm, I'm looking over the two transcripts now and like you said the the otter one definitely seems to have gotten a lot of the more technical details and you know calling out different terms and capitalizing correctly and all that uh, it seems to be more accurate overall I, I did notice that it seems like the otter transcript struggled a little bit with um where it would mark different timestamps. Yeah. yeah and i'm not sure if I don't know. It's it seems like an odd issue, but 
there are a number of points where, let's say it will, I'm looking at right now, it, it's 30 minutes and nine seconds in, um, and all it has under that is the word now, <laughs> and then 30 minutes and 10 seconds in regarding mail specifically. <laughs> maybe you and, took and a long pause. And it does that pause. a lot. Maybe you took a it, long it, pause. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, because, uh, uh, yeah, maybe it's just pauses, but I don't see that issue as much in the Trent transcript. Yeah. Um, I do love how it has the the automatic timestamps, and especially how you can kind of follow those timestamps to see, you know, that someone is different is speaking at that point. That's usually the way that these are broken up. It looks like uh, I was going to ask you about you know the ability for it to identify speakers because that that seems like a natural feature that it, something that's you know smart, something that that has AI right should theoretically be able to do. So I, I do wonder if. You know, maybe that is something where if if you did something a little differently, it would be able to do that effectively uh, because that could be extremely useful, uh, especially for meetings. But, mm -hmm. you know, for podcasts to be able to take a transcript and see at every point along the way who's saying what, um, that could be really, really helpful. Yeah, honestly, I think I got something wrong and I wouldn't be surprised if there's a feature to set speaker names beforehand, like to tell the service. Uh, you should expect these people to be on this audio file and transcribe accordingly. And then it's supposed to learn from you in theory uh, so that when you make the manual speaker adjustments, it should run through the rest of the conversation and, and say, okay, so if you assigned this voice to this name, then I must also assign these segments to the same person. It's, it's supposed to do that, but it didn't for me. And maybe I got something wrong. Um, yeah, and maybe it does better at that over time. Like if you use, you know, the service mm. for multiple different recordings and it's able to identify that it's the same speaker as on that previous recording, then maybe it gets better at that. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It's funny that you assign this challenge to me because um, Apple is launching a search for podcast transcriptions uh, in iOS 13.1 seems like they will be live. There's a new splash screen in the podcasts app. When you go to the search page, you will see that um, uh, Apple is advertising the ability to search for content spoken on a podcast. And I was able to test this feature. Uh, right now, it's, it's labeled as a beta and it is limited to a handful of popular shows. Still, I was able to type in uh, popular keywords such as, for example, Nintendo Switch or the name of a couple of Nintendo Switch games, like I searched for Fire Emblem, I think, and The Legend of Zelda. And sure enough, the podcasts app gave me results where there's a description that says transcript, colon, and the text that was found matching your query. So that was, that was good timing to do this challenge. And it sort of uh, it confirmed to me that there's value when it comes to, of course, if you're running a meeting, there's value in having notes for a meeting for different reasons. But even if you do a podcast, which is not a meeting, it's, un it's entertainment, I think there's still value in being able to reference content that was you know, spoken on a podcast so that it becomes searchable for, for the future. And I think... Um, it could be interesting to consider having our own private transcript of Adapt, maybe, so that we can reference future episodes and things that we said so that we can search back 
through the transcripts and, and see where we discussed a certain topic, for example. But otherwise, I would very much welcome if Apple were to open up transcripts to all podcasts. So maybe if the experiment, if the beta rollout goes well, uh, they will be able to uh, activate the transcript feature for all shows on the iTunes database, regardless of popularity or other criteria. So that I'm really excited about. Yeah, that certainly seems like where the future should be taking us because podcasts continue to grow, the podcast industry continues to grow, and not having transcripts makes those podcasts inaccessible to a number of people, whether it's people who, uh, in some cases, are deaf, and so they don't have access to podcasts yep. because they can't hear them, um, or even just people who maybe they prefer to read things, or they don't have time necessarily to listen to a whole podcast, but they enjoy kind of skimming over a podcast to see what's talked about. I think transcription is clearly something that needs to be solved, that uh, a problem that that needs to continue to be worked out. And I think it's going to happen. Um, it, it may just take some time before, you know, some of the the learning curves and the speed bumps along the road um, get us to a, a better transcription product. I know that Google's doing some transcription for search results for podcasts. Now Apple's doing it. Obviously, Otter and Trent are doing it. Um, so maybe some of these companies will be able to come together at some point to, you know, put together a product that is more accessible to more people, uh, some sort of universal standard. But uh, I guess time will tell. Let's move into some hashtag ask adapt at this time. As a reminder, we like to answer listeners' questions related to the iPad, iPad OS, related topics. And so if you have a question, just send a tweet with the hashtag askadapt, and we will see that and may answer it in a future episode. Uh, the first question that we have for today comes from Amar, and he asks, do you guys think that Apple should decouple stock apps so that they can be updated more often rather than waiting for an OS level update? Uh, he says, imagine Springboard updating via the App Store mm. or the Mail app. Mm. Uh, this is definitely something that's been talked about a lot over yeah. the years. Um, what do you think about this idea? Yeah, well, Apple, a few years ago, they uh, launched a feature that lets you delete or remove, I guess is more accurate, some default built-in apps from the system. They're not technically deleted. They're just essentially hidden from view. Uh, because the thing about iOS is that even if it looks like just an app, just like an icon on your home screen, iOS apps, especially the built-in Apple ones, uh, tend to be also frameworks that other apps can use. And therefore, deleting them and splitting them up from the OS may be impossible in the case of Springboard, because the Springboard is not just a home screen. The Springboard is increasingly, year after year, uh, is responsible for a lot of processes that happen on, on, on iOS and iPadOS. Uh, it you know it it handles you know processes when and, and the demons when when a device boots up for example it's responsible for the lock screen it's responsible for quick actions it is responsible for the dock and multitasking and multi window all of that falls on Springboard and uh, you know until you know when you see for example uh, apps that show Apple apps that show you a blurred version of the system wallpaper as their backgrounds, 
that's a private API that is also powered by Springboard. And so the idea of letting users update Springboard from the App Store wouldn't really make sense because it's literally part of the operating system and the App Store is for apps. Um, I think there's something to the idea of Apple being able to release updates to apps more frequently, but I also think they did that with shortcuts, right, uh, over the past year. And now Shortcuts is also becoming a built-in app because it is becoming more than just an app. It's a system feature. And so it's really hard for Apple to reconcile the fact that uh, people use their apps as apps, meaning they tap on the icons and they use them and they have an expectation that apps should be updated like third-party apps. And Apple has to reconcile that with the reality that their apps are also features for other apps. They are frameworks, they are APIs, and they're not necessarily well-suited for being removed from the system and being updated as you know individually from the App Store, um, independently from other apps and other frameworks, which may cause all kinds of problems. Like, what if the user uh, doesn't update mail, but then iOS 13.2 comes out and it has changes that you know need a new version of mail. That could be a whole bag of problems. And so I'm not surprised that Apple, because it wants to have an integrated approach, doesn't really do this. Uh, other companies can do it. I think Google does it. Uh, Apple did it with shortcuts. They do it for pages and you know the iWork suit of apps, apps that are really standalone. You know, there's no pages framework on iOS. But I think for core system apps, it's effectively impossible for Apple to do. Well, and one area where Apple kind of can offer updates and does throughout the year, uh, separate from different OS updates, is with its services oh, yeah. and the oh, ways yeah. that things change on services all the time. So Apple Music, for example, it, it seems like even more so the last year or two, it is getting these, you know, iterative changes and updates throughout the year at different points that are totally separate from an OS update. It's just you wake up one day and open the music app and there's this new feature, there's this new functionality. And so as Apple continues more and more building new services, I think that is going to become more of a trend. And so even though technically the music app isn't getting an update, it's not, you know, downloading a new update from the App Store, it's not bundled necessarily into an OS update, although Apple still does that, some for those apps like music, um, it will continue to get better regardless because Apple can push server-side updates without the need for a user to do anything. And so I think we will see some change in this area, even if it's not to the extent of, you know, you've got an update for mail in the App Store, mm -hmm. because like you said, those apps are just so intertwined with the OS. Listener Matt wants to know, have either of you ever tried the Microsoft Universal foldable keyboard for your iPad workflow? I've been using it happily for a few weeks now. Interestingly, it can pair to two devices at once and it has hardware keys to toggle between them. That's very nice. Um, I've been keeping an eye on this keyboard uh, because I, I do think that the split layout is fascinating. I've never used a split keyboard myself before. So I'm still keeping this keyboard in my Amazon wishlist. I, I have too many keyboards and I'm afraid that if I buy another one, my girlfriend is going to kick me out of the house because I got to sell some of these keyboards and some of these headphones. Um, I'm intrigued, but also concerned 
about the elongated shape of some of the keys. Uh, but then again, I have, I've never tried it myself. Maybe I should check it out. Um, and I also I want to add that more de Bluetooth devices like headphones and keyboards, they should support multi-device pairing. That's a feature that really needs to happen. And, uh, you know, I'm sad every time I got to repair my Sony headphones manually between the iPhone and the iPad. It's super annoying. Yeah, and I haven't tried the keyboard either, but the idea of a keyboard being able to pair to two devices at once is really intriguing. Um, you know, if you have an iPad and a Mac that you work at regularly, being able to switch between them easily would be great. Uh, it looks like Matt has another question for us. Mm. So Matt also wants to know, is there a keyboard shortcut to eject the software keyboard? It says the keyboard, uh, I guess the Microsoft keyboard doesn't have an eject button and control space doesn't open mm. yoink when scrolling through. Not aware of another one. All I knew was control space. I don't, I don't think there's another one. And if there is, it must be new and I still haven't found it. I don't know. All I knew was yeah. control space and the smart keyboard, of course, as a, as a globe button to cycle through keyboards. But I don't think there's one that ejects the software keyboard. So that even if a, even if a hardware keyboard is connected, you will still see the software one. My method always involved control space. All right. It uh, looks like we have a couple of printer-related questions. So there's one from Douglas, who is trying to switch to an iPad-only setup, but he's having trouble because, unlike a MacBook or a PC, the iPad doesn't provide as many printing options for things like the page setup, uh, the paper size to print on, tray selection, all those things. And so he's asking for any solutions or recommendations of apps to help with that. And then listener Chris says that he has an Ask Adapt challenge, which is printing a shipping label at a reasonable size. Uh, that that can be a challenge at times. Do you have any any printing expertise to share with us, Federico? I'm not a printing expert, I'm afraid. All I can say is that in the past, like there was a time I was in Paris and uh, we were staying at an Airbnb and we forgot to uh, print out our boarding passes. This was before there was a wallet app for the iPhone and um, I needed to have a printed version of the boarding pass. And so uh, there was the, this sort of... Um, info point for tourists like a, uh, a place where we went to ask questions and this guy very helpfully offered to use one of his printers uh, to let us print the boarding pass um, and he said do you have an iPad I was like yeah uh, and, he, and he told me you can use AirPrint so this guy I discovered was a total Apple nerd and so he had set up an AirPrint enabled printer in this sort of office and I downloaded Printer Pro, which is the real app from the App Store. And I, I printed the documents that I needed to print, and it was excellent. And it worked really well. And I think Printer Pro, um, it supports standard printers as well. So even if they're not AirPrint compatible, that's still going to work. So my suggestion would be, I guess, uh, Printer Pro, if you want to try other types of printers that are not AirPrint compatible. Otherwise, you just 
should be able to use the native um, iPadOS AirPrint capabilities to manage page sizes and all of that. But I think if you don't see the options in the default Apple UI, you should check out Printer Pro. Um, because I, I, I took a look at the screenshots, it still looks the same as the last time that I tried it. So there's a bunch of, of course, it's been updated in recent years, uh, but there's a lot more options than what Apple provides. Uh, I'm not, I, I think I remember page size options. I'm not sure about the colors, but page size should definitely be supported. Yeah, and I've used Printer Pro a lot in the past as well, and it definitely provides more options than AirPrint yeah. does. That is a good point of, you know, a feature that Apple could add in the future to the iPad especially to help it become more like a, a traditional computer, or at least unlike more capabilities. You know, the company's done that this year in iPadOS with, you know, things like downloading files, USB drives, all that low-hanging fruit. And so providing more printer options could be the next step, maybe next year. Uh, there's a couple of questions for things that are unfortunately not possible yet. Uh, listener Abe uh, wanted to turn an iPad into an Elgato Stream Deck uh, compatible device. I'm unfor- I'm, I'm, unfortunately, that is not possible. You cannot uh, you cannot connect uh, game capture cards to an iPad Pro over USB C because uh, USB access on iPad OS is only limited to browsing files. It doesn't really work for video capture cards or other types of USB devices. Um, on an iPad, you can live stream games. There's a built-in feature of, um, what's it called, Ryan? The the iOS API for... The screen recording or... Yeah, there's, there's a screen recording API that allows developers to essentially plug into that so that if you want to record the screen, but you don't want to create a video file, you want to live stream it to a service, you can long press on the screen recording button and you will find extensions. So there's a few game streaming services that let you stream directly from an iPad. But of course, that is quite different from having an Elgato uh, capture card uh, plugged into, plug into your iPad. So I'm, unfortunately, that is not possible. And the listener Luke says that he can find a way to access his military web email from an iPad and uh, he's using a common access card, which is, uh, you know, the common, it needs a, um, a, a special type of reader. This is a special type of card that my understanding is that it, it lets you log into government services. Um, and of course, as I mentioned, iPadOS doesn't have the necessary USB drivers to support uh, common access cards either. So it's the same situation as game capture, game capture cards uh, USB access on iPad is only limited to files and browsing files in a variety of formats on external drives, but it do- it's still not possible to install custom drivers and do things like, oh, I want to plug in, you know, for example, this game capture card or this common access card, or sometimes banks, they give you, you know, your bank gives you a USB security device that you plug into your computer and it provides you with authentication uh, features. That's also not possible in iPadOS. So right now, only file management and all other USB-related uh, things will have to wait. Uh, and that's about it. And as always, you can send us a question using hashtag AskAdapt on Twitter. We'll do our best to collect them all. We have a long list, but please do keep sending them because 
Even if we don't answer all of your questions live on the show, they do inform us on the background of things that we want to talk about. So thank you for sending your questions. I keep sending more. Okay, I think we're at that point in the show where we get to say our goodbyes and no, no. wrap There's up. There's a challenge for you. Hold on. Wait. Oh, you want me to do the challenge? There's a ch- I have a challenge for you. And <sighs> you you okay. you're not you're not done here yet. I so next time you have me transcribe a podcast. I want you to create a hero image for a Max Stories article that is different than usual. No shortcuts. You know, no you cannot use my Apple frames, shortcuts and all of that. I want you to create a beautiful hero image that has a different layout than what we usually do. You can use different background colors. You can use device templates. Get creative. I want you to experiment with uh, image editors on iOS and iPadOS. Go go crazy. Go whatever. Go do whatever you want. Just create a hero image for a Mac Stories article and don't use my shortcuts. You got to do it by hand and use an image editor. How's that? How's that sound? Wow. Well, I, I, I think the idea of, you know, do this challenge and don't use shortcuts is something that I should save for later to use on you. <laughs> but uh, it's yeah, no, I mean, it, it sounds fun. It sounds. I, I definitely am very reliant on your shortcuts to frame screenshots and things like that. Um, so I will try out some different methods. Get creative. I know this year, you know, John, our colleague, has gotten really good with his photography mm-hmm. skills and doing some great product photos. So I guess I need to stretch myself as well. Yeah, don't ask so John for photos, that. though. That, that's going to be... You, uh, you can't cheat okay. and just ask John to take a photo for you. <laughs> what if he takes the photo and then I, I edit it yeah, in Pixelmator well, no, photo? No, it doesn't really count. You can just have uh, John take a picture and then you go in Pixelmator photo and you adjust a single slider and you're done. That, that doesn't count. Okay, okay. I I will come up with something and I guess people will be seeing it on Mac Stories in the coming weeks. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been episode 8 of Adapt. I want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Backblaze. And if you want to find show notes for today, you can visit our website relay.fm/adapt/8 or just look in the podcast player you're listening right now. If you want to follow us online, Federico is on Twitter and Instagram as Advitici, that's V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And you'll find me on Twitter as at IRyan, T-L-D-R, that's I-R-Y-A-N-T-L-D-R. And we are both writing at maxstories.net. Before the next episode, I predict that you might see a very special, very in-depth review of iOS and iPadOS 13, possibly on the website. If not, then something will have gone very wrong. Uh, or maybe Apple will hear and and heed your plea at the beginning of the episode and delay it a little bit and give you a little more time. Oh, please. Well, let's, let's look at things on the positive side. Mm-hmm. Well, until that next episode, it is time to say our goodbyes. Arrivederci. Bye.